Well, that's this Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, WeWork's former CEO files suit and COVID death counts become partisan. But first, U.S. women's soccer loses. So that is not a phrase we have heard very often. But on Friday, a federal judge rejected the U.S. women's team's claims that they've been underpaid in comparison to the men. It was a stunning ruling based on what many had believed was a pretty open and shut case of gender discrimination. Here is Megan Rapinoe's reaction during an interview with ABC's Good Morning America. I was very shocked with the ruling and the explanation that was given. Basically, it's like if I earn $1 every time I play in a man earns $3, just because I win 10 games and he only wins three games and so I made $10 and he made $9. I'm not sure how that's me making more money while having to essentially win everything that we could possibly have won over these past few years. So a few things to know. First, as Rapino says, the U.S. women did earn more money last year than did the men but that's because they played a lot more games. Remember, the men didn't even qualify for the World Cup. Two, there is confusion over what the U.S. women were and weren't offered in 2017. The judge say that they turned down a deal very similar to what the men got, whereas the women say that is a misreading of the contracts. Three, the judge did reject their claims on pay, but preserved ones about other unequal treatment, things like travel, accommodations, and team staffing. Four, Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan say they plan to appeal. The bottom line, the ultimate outcome of this case will have immediate financial results for the U.S. women's soccer players, but much more lasting ramifications for the female athletes who currently know people like Rapinoe and Morgan best as posters on their bedroom walls. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios Sports Editor Kendall Baker. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios Sports Editor Kendall Baker. So, Kendall, we get this judge's ruling on Friday. Were you surprised by it? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody was surprised by it just because of how much momentum this has had for the past year plus. And also, I think for a lot of people, the last we heard of this was back in March when U.S. soccer did not look very good. When, again, going back to the momentum side of it, it seemed like all of the momentum was with the team. Why did it feel like all the momentum was with the team in March? So in March, U.S. soccer basically filed something that was widely viewed as misogynistic, essentially saying women are inferior athletes based on science. And, you know, the president resigned three days later. Sponsors came out against them. And so I think you had this growing base of support for the U.S. women's national team getting back to last year's World Cup. For that to have happened two months ago and then two months later for the momentum to kind of shift again, I think was surprising to a lot of people. There seems to be this fundamental disagreement right now between what the judge said in his ruling and what Megan Rapinoe, one of the stars of the team, said in response to this on Good Morning America. The judge basically said that the women's team was given an opportunity to make more money, offered a contract in 2017 that would have had similar provisions to what the men make, that they rejected it because instead they wanted kind of a maybe lower ceiling but higher pay floor. Megan Rapinoe says, untrue, we weren't offered the same deal. How do we make sense of what seems to be a real disparity here in the claims. Yeah, I think it comes down to minutia, honestly. I mean, it sounds like my understanding is the women were offered a similar structure to the men, which is a pay-to-play structure, which, as you mentioned, would you know have a higher ceiling in the sense that you're, you're almost getting paid for performance versus the safety net of higher base compensation. There was some other things that the women had bargained for that obviously they were in a different position. You know, They bargained for maternity leave, other things not related to increased pay. And so I think the difference here is that the women are basically saying maybe we were offered the same structure 
but not the same deal, whereas the judge is maybe in his language saying you were offered the same deal. So I think it's in the minutiae of were you offered the same type of deal or the same deal. And I think it sounds like the U.S. women are saying we were offered potentially the same type of deal, but never were we given the opportunity to sign an equal deal to the men. Now, the judge didn't reject all of the women's claims. He did preserve the claim about unequal treatment, things like uh, travel accommodations, for example. Is it your expectation that the women will proceed to that? There's a trial technically scheduled for June 16th. Obviously, depending on COVID, trials are getting messed up kind of all over the place. But do you expect the women will proceed with just that part of their claim? Or is the better bet that they will appeal the ruling from Friday, which could therefore delay the trial till later? I would guess it's the latter, just because I think any claim of gender inequality that is confirmed, whether it is travel or something smaller like that, is in some sense the word a win. But overall, I think those things were so much not part of the main conversation and wouldn't be viewed as much of a win that I think you'd prefer to appeal the entire thing. That doesn't really accomplish what they set out to do, which was a landmark ruling really kind of changed the tide. These things, some people aren't even familiar with the details. Kendall, you and I discussed this suit originally on this show, I think maybe the day after, or a couple of days after the women won the most recent World Cup, so last summer. Many of these same women were scheduled to play in the Olympics, which is supposed to be happening fairly soon. Obviously, it's not happening this year. Is that kind of, from your perspective, an exogenous event that kind of hurt them, if not necessarily with the judge, but at least with public opinion, just because they are not front and center in the newspaper every day as they otherwise should have been right now. I think you could definitely make that argument. Going back to the momentum that I mentioned before, so much of it was tied to the fact that they were in the news cycle throughout the summer with the World Cup taking place, but also coming up that, you know, the original lawsuit was filed three months before the World Cup. So it kind of dominated that whole news cycle. So yeah, I I do think you could make the argument that it did hurt them, but they're not as much, you know, in the public sphere right now with the Olympics postponed. I don't know how much of an argument that is, but there's definitely an argument to be made. Kendall, there's also the issue of the NWSL, the uh, U.S. Pro Women's Soccer League, which is paying players but not playing games right now. Obviously, this league isn't as rich as something like the NFL. So I guess twofold question, is the league in trouble? And how does the pay structure in that league impact what happened with this broader national lawsuit? To your point, you know, the smaller leagues are obviously in much, much deeper trouble than the bigger leagues. NWSL is a smaller league. Going back to their original negotiations and why they, you know, they did choose the higher conversation floor and maybe the lower ceiling is that, you know, back when they signed this in 2017, NWSL players were making almost nothing. It's improved a little bit since then, but still. So it's obviously a much more traumatic experience for them right now than, say, NFL players. Kendall, last question for you. When you look at what's happened so far, and again, as we discussed, there could be appeals, etc. What does this tell you about kind of the relative power that the U.S. Soccer Federation, this governing body, has versus the power that the actual players have? That's a great question. And I think... It says a lot about what the power that the U.S. Soccer Federation has, and even more so the fact that the players, you know, this is obviously not an amicable relationship right now. It hasn't been from the outset, quite honestly. But where else are the players going to play? This is their one employer on the national level. And so I think just the reality that a ruling like this could come down and that the only path forward is to continue to work together, that in and of itself kind of shows that in many ways, maybe not the correct term, but U.S. soccer has a monopoly over women's national soccer. To be honest, that sounds like a lot of other sports where ultimately the owners win. Kendall Baker, who writes the daily Axios Sports newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a new lawsuit involving WeWork. 
This one is from Adam Newman, the company's controversial co-founder and former CEO who was pushed out last fall as part of a broad financial rescue package from investment firm SoftBank. Newman is alleging in his suit that SoftBank breached both its fiduciary and contractual duties to him by walking away from a $3 billion tender offer for WeWork shares. Newman could have gotten upwards of a billion dollars out of the tender, whereas the rest would have gone to early company investors and employees. Now, if this lawsuit sounds familiar, it's probably because it's similar to one that SoftBank was already being sued over by a special committee of WeWork's board of directors. But SoftBank has argued that the special committee doesn't have legal standing to represent those who could have benefited from the tender offer. And that's where Newman comes in, because he is unquestionably one of the people who could have benefited from the tender offer. In short, Newman's lawsuit is a legal plan B. And finally, a depressing note on American partisanship based on the latest Axios Ipsos coronavirus index poll. It finds that nearly two thirds of Democrats believe the actual death count from COVID-19 is higher than the official number, while 40% of Republicans think it's lower. Two notes here. First, this means that overall, the vast majority of Americans disbelieve the official government statistics. Two, health experts suggest that it is likely that the death count is currently understated. Not because of partisan politics, but because our dearth of testing means it's likely that many people who have died from ailments other than COVID-19 did have COVID-19 as a contributing factor, but no one ever knew because the people hadn't been tested. The bottom line, in the early days of this pandemic, America felt united against a common enemy. But with this poll and increasing fights over economic reopening, our pre-existing divisions are back with what could be a deadly vengeance. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great Cinco de Mayo. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.